Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. You're listening to the Inside Carolina podcast, sponsored by JohnnyTShirt.com and Johnny T-Shirt on Franklin Street, on the Beat podcast. I've got Greg Barnes and Gregory Hall with me. We will certainly dig into Carolina basketball here shortly. Plenty to talk about in that regard. But I'm going to come to Greg Barnes first. Greg, Carolina in the military bowl against Temple, December 27th at noon. Carolina finally gets a nooner. That's hilarious that it turns out to be the ball game. But just uh, briefly tell us how it all came out uh, to be the military bowl against Temple because there's a lot of rumors swirling over the course of the week leading up to those conference championship games and then ultimately the uh, bowl selections. Yeah, it's one of those things where there's so much uh, political posturing involved with bowl games. Um, That's one of the reasons a lot of people are kind of anti-bowl once you get past the playoffs. Uh, And I think what people have to understand is where this begins. I mean, it's it's about uh, generating uh, economic uh, benefits for the community, wherever it may be. That, that's what these places, uh, these bowl games are trying to do. And so we, we can talk about who travels well. That kind of stuff doesn't matter as much anymore because you're, you're, you've got your, uh, your, your bowl allotment money-wise, your payouts. And, you know, ACC, it really doesn't matter because everything's split up anyway. Um, but it's really just a matter of the bowls are, are trying to generate as economic uh, growth particular week and that's one of the reasons you know the teams arrive you know in some cases a week ahead of time Uh, and they have events scheduled every single day throughout the community and it kind of raises interest and they get a lot of publicity out of it Uh, and so um, North Carolina uh, from everything that we've heard uh, you had kind of pushed initially uh, for the for the pinstripe, uh, they wanted to try to work in there, and with Wake Forest kind of falling apart late in the year the way they did, and Louisville losing uh, to Kentucky the way they did, uh, that opened the door for North Carolina to move into that tier one uh, potentially. Uh, but but I think kind of the way the way things played out, uh, the Sun Bowl ended up being kind of the last option with Wake Forest uh, being able to kind of pencil themselves in for the pinstripe, and Sun Bowl just decided they wanted Florida State. Uh, kind of a, a national name. Of, of course, you know, they uh, have, have switched coaches and with, with Will Taggart no longer being there, there's some turmoil a little bit, but I think the fact that it is a big name, Sun Bowl decided to go that route. You know, North Carolina was there three years ago anyway. Um, and so North Carolina has some ties to some people uh, associated with the military bowl, and, and that's where North Carolina ended up uh, playing Temple. There was some expectation that maybe it was going to be Navy, uh, but Navy ended up far enough up in the rankings uh, that they moved out of that spot. But uh, they play a Temple team that, that's pretty solid. Uh, not great, but pretty good. And I think it'll be a good test, but North Carolina starts out as a, yeah, I think they're a five-and-a-half-point favorite right now. So it's going to be a, t- a tough game, but I think it's a game that North Carolina uh, could and, and should win. And if you can get to – seven wins and, and year number one or Mac Brown that is a success. Uh, as we talked about in the preseason, we'll talk about more in our, our uh, postseason football podcast, Tommy. 
the goal was really to get to a bowl game and North Carolina. So I think this season, this is success regardless. Uh, but if you can add another win to, to make sure you solidify a winning record, uh, clearly that's, that's a great thing for the program. Gregory, you had the uh, wonderful opportunity to be in Carter Finley stadium on the Saturday that Greg Barnes, Ross Martin and I were on our way home from the Bahamas. Uh, at that point, Carolina really didn't care what bowl they went to. They just were glad to be in one. Talk about that mindset. I know we haven't really talked about it since then, and it's been a little bit, but getting to a bowl for these this team, whether it's the military bowl versus Temple or any of them, has been a, an accomplishment. Like Greg said, I think it's a huge success for North Carolina. We said six and six was the target. They met that target. Um, but these players and this coaching staff, they really felt like they've done something um, that's a big deal for the Carolina football program going forward, don't they? Yeah, they they definitely they definitely feel like that. And I mean, six and six, I mean, obviously it's just barely five hundred and uh, if it's five hundred, barely bowl eligible. But like you said, the players and the coaches just wanted to get to a bowl, and and they did that. And you don't, and you probably they probably are thinking about wanting a Power Five opponent. Um, I know a lot of some of the, the rumors and the buzz around it was that fans wanted to see maybe the Music City or the Pinstripe Bowl. Um, but then you talk to the players um, after a few games early in the season when, or I guess in the middle of the season when they're approaching that six-game number but not quite there. And you hear from guys like Michael Carter giving just an, an incredible answer about what it would mean to him to get to a bowl game because he's never been one, been to one, and it's his third year of college football. Um, yes, some of the seniors have been to a bowl game, but that was also three years ago. So you just hear what it would mean to these players um, and kind of the emotion behind it. And after the state game, they won their sixth game. They're celebrating beating state. They're celebrating going to a bowl game. They don't care where they're going. It gets to Selection Sunday. They probably still don't care where they're going. They, they're just happy to go get some extra time to practice together. Um, and the goal and the, I guess the mission for the whole year was to do it, do it for the seniors. And that's exactly what they did. So I guess they're, they're, they're happy about it and they can't complain that they didn't get the pinstripe and the music city or the quick lane bowl or any of those games that would pit them against a, a power five opponent. And, and Temple's a good, a good opponent. Uh, it's a matchup that I think is pretty intriguing because uh, I mean, we've known what Sam Howell can do, and I haven't looked into Temple too much. But what I've seen is that on the defensive side of the ball, they're more of a they're better on the run defense. So this could pose for another opportunity for Sam Howell to let it fly, and he's one touchdown away from having the third most in ACC history. So that's something to watch for as they get ready for their first bowl game in in three years, which is kind of crazy to say. Indeed, it is, Greg. We'll talk, like you said, a lot more later in the week. And folks that are listening, um, day after tomorrow, there'll be a, a podcast up where Buck and Jason and Greg and myself and Ingersoll and John Siegley and I'll review what we predicted way back in the preseason. Um, but I'll let you get on the record first, Greg. It is a couple things. One, does the opponent matter to the players? I know it does to the fan base. Uh, we've seen the message boards. Um, a lot of fans maybe a little disappointed about the matchup, uh, but does it matter to the players and does it matter to the coaches where they go and 
who they play, especially when you're, I mean, you're six and six, let's be realistic. I mean, back in the day, six and six doesn't get you in a bowl period. So when you're six and six, do you really care beyond the fact that you got there? No, <laughs> no, I, mean, I think Gregory said it perfectly correct. I mean, Michael Carter, we've, we've talked to him about it several times over the last couple of weeks and, uh, he wanted to get to a bowl game, and one of the main reasons he wanted to get to the bowl game, he wanted bowl swag. And that's one of the fun things to cover is all of this unique swag these guys get, uh, You know, whether it's a $500 Best Buy gift card or shoes or clothes or whatever it may be. It's the experience. And like you said, Tom, it's, we're talking about a 6-6 six and six team. Uh, this game, it's important for the, the seniors to be able to go out with some fun. It's important for some of these guys who haven't played in a bowl game the last couple of years to have an opportunity to travel somewhere and have a celebration about you know, what transpired this year and the ability to get this team back to the postseason. Uh, it gives you some more practices. You know, North Carolina, we'll have to wait and see what Max says, but I don't think there's any way they get 15 practices in. I don't think that's feasible. Um, but they'll get you know, a good number, and that will give them some opportunities to get some guys some more work, which is critically important. Uh, but it also gives you a chance to win another game and, and finish with a winning record. And uh, you know, in, in that scenario, you're, you're wanting a team that you can beat, I think, more than anything. Uh, Temple is going to be better than what I think a lot of North Carolina fans expect because you hear Temple and you don't think a whole lot. Jeff Collins is at Georgia Tech for a reason. It's because he, he really built that Temple team up. Um, so it's going to be a good matchup, but no, I, I don't think, I don't think the opponent matters. I don't think where you go and play matters. Once you get to eight, nine, 10 wins, and maybe you can sneak into the new year six bowls. Now we're talking now it matters. Uh, but I think at this level, we just, just be happy with the bowl game, be happy with the experience, be happy for the players uh, and try to get that seventh win for you know, the first time since uh, 2016. Yeah, you speak of the swag. I was looking online when you were talking uh, the military bowl swag last year. Dale Mobile Projector, which I've kind nice. of looked at. Yeah, I know I've kind of looked at one of those for my Christmas gift list, and then a hundred dollar American Express gift card and some eye slides. So they get they get free stuff. Some of the bowls are ridiculous. If you've never looked at some of the swag that some of these players get, it, it's off the charts. Speaking of swag, let me talk about JohnnyT-Shirt.com and Johnny T-Shirt on Franklin Street. As you know, they are our wonderful sponsors of this podcast. Been a great partner with Inside Carolina and InsideCarolina.com. Johnny T-Shirt offers the best Carolina gear you can get anywhere. They offer it online with great customer service. They offer it in-store on Franklin Street with great customer service. Make sure you get by there over the holiday season. Pick up your late gifts. Get it at the store get into that Christmas tree. If you need to get stuff online, you better hurry up and do it. It's getting close, but johnnytshirt.com has everything you could ever want. Jersey related, basketball, football, soccer, tough lofts for women's soccer, but they still got plenty of women's soccer gear and other sports, field hockey, national champions, anything you could need. Johnny T-shirt, Johnny T-shirt on Franklin Street and 10% off your everyday order if you're an Inside Carolina Premium subscriber. With some of the sales that are going on now, plus that 10% off, can't beat the prices at Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Gregory, um, win or lose, has this season been a smashing success or just an average success in your mind? Not what the players have said, 
um, not what the coaches have said, but in you, your mind in particular, as a student at Carolina, how you feel about how it's gone down? Uh, I don't know if I would say smashing success, but I think it would be above an average, an average successful season, a little above that. Because I mean, yes, six and six. Um, growing up in a SEC household with some some pretty good Auburn football seasons. If Auburn wins six and six, it would be a disaster, disaster of a season. But obviously, where this team has been, uh, six and six is above average because of. I mean, they it just seemed like they would give up at times last year, and I know they had some uh, some close games, but this year. I mean, every game was down to the wire except their three wins, um, which I think is saying something. So I, I think that that is and that is why it's a little bit above average success, and we kind of showed that this team has talent, and a lot of that offensive output came from younger guys. So I think the ability to to show that and be able to build off of it moving forward kind of use it as a stepping stone year to bigger and greater things. So if I'm an underclassman student, which I'm not. I'm sadly a senior getting out of here, but I, I'm super excited about where this football team is going in the future. Yeah, and Gregory, let me let me follow with this. You're in a unique situation, as am I. Uh, we're different from Tommy in that you grew up following Auburn in the SEC. My dad went to Tennessee, so I grew up. I went to more Tennessee games than than UNC games for a long, long time. Uh, and so, and you, know, Deanna got a lot of grief because she's a Georgia girl and she was used to Georgia football. Uh, and so I think when you kind of step into the UNC ACC tailgate scene and kind of the crowds, you have maybe a skewed vision. Uh, and you Tommy, I know you grew up going to Carolina games, but Gregory, I know you covered most of the games. So you don't get a true, uh, true feel for the crowd, but you did, on a lot of occasions, make it down to the field in the final five minutes. Mm-hmm. I think you did that. Correct me if I'm wrong. Every game, Miami and Clemson. Every game, every game. So that is unique from my perspective, in that all those games were sold out, and we know nobody showed up for um, the final game because of the rain and all that kind of stuff. But for the games that mattered, the crowd was electric. So. It it seems like, from my perspective, that's a very unique thing to North Carolina because when I was in school, it was when Mac was here. And those were some really good teams, and and the crowd was into it. Then you get into the bunny years and so on and so forth, and the crowd support just was not there. And even after the NCAA investigation, crowd support plummeted. It was no fault of Larry Fedora's, uh, but I think a lot of the fans felt they were betrayed by the administration for – uh, a variety of reasons, but it just seemed like this year in terms of the crowd support, it was a lot better than especially the last two years. It's so best maybe, in the last four. Could you, could you tell the difference when you're on the, when you're on the field there late that this is you know, a big change from what it has been? Uh, yeah, a hundred percent. Um, I mean, I mean, I went to every game my freshman and sophomore year. Um, I've obviously covered every home game the last two years. Uh, but, I mean, I haven't heard Keenan Stadium that loud for that late into the game since maybe 
my freshman year. So what, three years ago, the Mitch Trubisky year against Pitt, uh, where they drove down the final two minutes. I think they converted like three or four fourth downs. Uh, that was parents weekend. So that game was going to, I mean, parents weekend has more fans in it just because they're, it's just part of the day. You I mean, you go to the game with your parents, whether you stay for all of it or you don't like, it's just what people do. But that was probably the only comparable game in my four years to any home game this year outside of Mercer. Um, and even when, even when, I guess, what was it? Um, the Virginia game. I mean, that game mattered in November. And I mean, if it hadn't have mattered, I still think it would have been just as loud and rowdy and crazy because I mean, what Mac did and the team did to kind of instill that, that passion and energy back into this, into the school is, was pretty impressive. And I mean, it kind of showed that the fan base and the student body, I mean, they're, they get grief all the time about, oh, it's a basketball school. I mean, they've even got a, a Jumpman logo on their football gear. Um, but I think they have proved a lot of people wrong with this school wants a good football team as far as being able to support it no matter what. And they did that this year. And they definitely did it against at, at Carter-Finley. Um, there were a good couple hundred fans there at the end of the game. Not, not like as it ended, but stayed after and celebrated with the team in the corner afterwards, uh, which was pretty cool to see as well and something I hadn't seen in my four years. Uh, so, yeah, I guess if you take that into account, much larger of a success than what I was talking about earlier. It is fascinating to me to see the progression of where this program's been, Greg. You mentioned that, you know, I grew up watching them forever. I remember games back in the day that at least as a young person, it seemed like it was always on fire. I guess it was, maybe not, but then you got 88 and 89. Um, I remember being in there in 88 Navy game at pouring down rain. They lost 12, seven. That was Mike's first year. It was just ugly, um, but it felt a little different. And then 89, Mike's second year, um, same record, um, it, but it continued to feel a little different. And then in 90, it really took off. And then, you know, we see what happened after Mac left and after it kind of hit the rails. But <clears throat> even in the John Bunning years, there were there were games that it was ridiculous. Miami, of course, NC State, of course, and a few others. But this season, and I know I've caught some grief for saying what I said about uh, the last game of the season, but the fan base was ridiculously good all year. And my question would be for both of you guys, since, um, and this would be a great question for tomorrow, but I won't have y'all together um, on it, is y'all follow Auburn, you follow Tennessee. I don't know, you know, your seats in, in those arenas or those stadiums or whatever, but being on the field at, say, the end of the Miami game this year, and we've all seen the videos of that catch that ends up ultimately winning the game. I mean, how is that atmosphere at that moment different um, or any less good than atmospheres in those places? I mean, I know there's a lot more people, um, but that atmosphere in Keenan Stadium at that moment, I don't think it's ever been that good in in, in Carolina football. I'd, I'd, vastly doubt that it has ever been like that 
Um, what say to you, Gregory, about the comparison, maybe? So the last Auburn football game I went to was probably two years ago, uh, maybe three, against Ole Miss. And it was uh, similar to the Miami game to where um, it was. it came down to the wire. Ole Miss was good that year. Um, so it was a big game. It obviously wasn't a Georgia game or an Alabama game. But I think if you put 85,000, I think Auburn told, maybe close to 90, in Keenan at that moment with Miami game, uh, yeah, it's it's probably louder than um, um, any kind of, I guess, above average moment in Jordan Hare. Uh, it was, yeah, I think it's just sheer volume of numbers as for, compared to SEC stadiums versus, I mean, Keenan, it's got like 50, 51,000. I mean, it was impressive this year and they were loud. So yeah, I would say it's probably, it would, be, it would compare if the numbers were equal in bodies. Greg, what do you think? I mean, was Keenan Stadium as electric as it was for those games this season because of the new seating arrangement? Or do you think if it were like it was, do you think it would have been the same? I, I think the, no. compact, the compactness of it made it better. For sure. Absolutely. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And um, I, I, that clearly benefits you in terms of being able to sell out some of these games. I mean, we're talking about about a 12,000 uh, seat difference from what it had been, which is for North Carolina. Uh, but you, you get it down to 50, 51,000, and now sellouts are, are legit. And the fact that it is a bowl, um, you know, grew up going to Tennessee games, uh, you know, uh, I don't know if I'm dating myself too much, but it, but in 90, uh, Notre Dame came in as number one team in the country. I- Nineteen ninety. Nineteen ninety. Yes. Don't, How old were make, you then? Yeah. Don't make me, I was. I was negative eight years old. Don't make me disconnect you right now. Uh, you, you don't uh, even know who Vince Carter is. Okay. <laughs> All right. There you go. All right. We need to go look up Andy Kelly, uh, great Tennessee <laughs> quarterback. But um, that was that was a matchup of two top ten teams, and, and Notre Dame unfortunately won that game. Uh, but but I think you. Know, at that point in time, I don't think the stadium in, in Knoxville at Neyland had gotten above 100,000, but it was, it had to have been like 95,000. Um, and so, I mean, that's, you, that's craziness uh, to the extreme. And that's, that's how a lot, I mean, Clemson was that way. Um, you know, when Florida State would come in before they joined the conference, uh, I had a good buddy that was a big Clemson fan. So we'd go down and watch those games. Uh, and so that's big time football. And what makes it big time football is that the people that are there are are so attuned to every single play and every single play matters and that it kind of is contagious. And everybody in that stadium embraces the game and they're rooting together and it's just electric. Uh, and I think if you just watch some of those videos from the Miami game, especially that was electric mm-hmm. I mean, that is what football is about. And you know, yes, maybe Keenan is, is half the size of, of Neyland Stadium and uh, you know, close to half the size of you know, uh, where Georgia plays or Bama. Um, or the Jordan size Hare. doesn't matter. Right, exactly, Jordan Hare. The, the, the fact that you know, everybody was engaged and everybody was excited and everybody understood what was taking place, that's what it's about. And um, you know, even in the press box, I wasn't on the field 
uh, there at the end, Miami, because I was having to write all these friggin' last minute stories. Capital J, all Capital J journalism over there. Oh, gosh. <laughs> gotta be instant. Gotta be first. Right. Gotta be first. Uh, but but being able to kind of see that and see the, the crowd respond the way they did, that's what you want. And so forget about crowd size. Forget about any of that. The the fact that you the place was as, as special as it was in that moment. I think that's big for big for the program, big for Mac, and, and that's what you want to achieve game in and game out. And the fact that they had so many close games this year at home, it really helps kind of build a foundation for that moving forward. Man, I'm ready to go to a football game. I know, really, man. Give me a break. Hey, my first college football game, I was two months old, was a Auburn game. In 1999? 1998. <laughs> I had my, my – they, they taped the earmuffs to my head, and they had they bought the tickets before I was born, and they were like, well, we're taking him. So two yeah. months old. It is explaining a lot. What? <laughs> The more you talk, the more I realize how you, yeah, I'm just messing with you. That's, that's a pretty cool memory. I'm sure you remember being two months old and Jordan oh, there. Of course I do, you know. <laughs> you still got the ticket stubs. <laughs> I'm going to take a short break. We'll come back. Let's talk about uh, the other major sport at North Carolina um, and what folks may be feeling at the moment. But I'm going to take a break, come back. We'll be right back with the Inside Carolina On The Beat podcast. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ, Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do-average 29 and 11. God, what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing. All right, boys, let's talk Carolina basketball. I'll start with you, Greg Barnes, again. We talked a little bit off the air. Is it time to panic for North Carolina fans watching this basketball team? I have an opinion. I'll share it later. But, Greg, your opinion, panic time or not? I don't think so. I think the fact that, that North Carolina and Roy, you talked about this down in the Bahamas, but they went through a stretch of playing Michigan, Oregon, <laughs> State, and Virginia at Virginia. Um, and those are all legitimate, you know, at least top 25. Yeah, I'm not sure if Virginia is top 10 necessarily, but uh, most of those teams are. I think Oregon will get there. Um, and they're not playing clearly their best basketball. So I, I still maintain that this team will look a lot different come maybe not January now, maybe February. The issue is, is while they have a, a lot of room to grow, is their ceiling high enough to reach some of the goals that we talked about? Is the ceiling high enough for this team to make a Final Four without a miracle run. Um, if, if that's what makes you panic, then maybe it is. But I, this team will, will get better. I mean, the fact that, that Roy Williams is talking about, you know, he tells the guys to switch screens, come out of halftime against Ohio State, and two veterans forget to switch screens on the first play. Or that they call a play and a guy runs in the wrong direction. 
Like those things will be corrected. Uh, guys will shoot better as the season goes along, as they get more comfortable and get to know each other and understand where their teammates want to receive the ball and passes. All that will get better. Does that mean they'll become an, a great shooting team all of a sudden? Yeah. I haven't seen anything to suggest that. So they'll get better, certainly marginally, but will they get significantly better? Eh, I, I don't know about that. And I think that's that's kind of the uh, gray area that I think a lot of fans are in. Because I have not seen anything out of this team to make me think this is a Final Four caliber team. Um, and I, I thought maybe they could get to that point. And maybe they still can, but there's got to be a lot of growth and a lot of development for that to occur. Can they be competitive in the ACC in terms of you know, a winning record, uh, you know, challenging for the upper echelon? Sure. I don't think they're a team that's going to compete necessarily for the ACC crown. Um, and so it's really just a matter of what your opinion of what this team can be and maybe what you think it should be. Is, is where we, we go with that question, Tommy. Um, but you, if you're thinking that this is the team that's going to struggle and they're going to win eight games in the ACC, I don't see that. I think they've just gone through a very tough stretch of games uh, that they could have they used some weaker opponents, and they've kind of been exposed. Uh, and when you factor in all the injuries, you know, a lot of things have gone against them. I think they will get better. The question is, how much better can they get? Yeah, I was procrastinating studying for one of my finals last night, so I was I was curious about other most more recent seasons to where UNC's lost three games this early in the year, um, and this decade that's happened twice, right? In 2010-11 season, and then the 14-15 season. And so then I looked at, like, I compared some stuff about, uh, I guess, kind of stats. Because the biggest thing that stands out to me that's troubling with this team, obviously the uh, the offense, but the uh, assist-turnover ratio really stands out to me. Of it's just, it's just not good. I mean, Cole had zero assists, six turnovers against Virginia. Obviously, that's Virginia, but still. Um, and so their assist-turnover ratio right now is 1.05. It's the second lowest of the decade. In 2010 and 11, it was 0.94. That's the lowest in the last 10 years. Um, it's the fewest number of assists through nine games this year. And then I started to like compare those three seasons and like how the teams finished out, changed, and all of that. Uh, and the comparison to the 14-15 season was kind of eerily similar to what's happened right now. Uh, they first loss was to Butler in the Bahamas. Then they lost at home in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. And then they had a true road game, and they lost, which is what has happened this year. Uh, after that third loss, they fell to 24th. UNC just fell to 17th. And I think Cole Anthony and Armando and kind of like their skill ability and like their, I guess, ceilings probably reasoning reason for that. Uh, and then they just kind of hovered around in the top 25, never got top 10, uh, were a four seed. I believe they lost in the Sweet 16 that year, if I remember. But then the, but the offensive yes, numbers... to so, Wisconsin in LA. Yeah. Okay, there we go. And the offensive numbers, though, for those years, 
or marginally better than they were these this season. I mean, they shot 45% through the nine games and 44.9%, which were the two lowest. They're the two lowest other than this year. Uh, so I just, the, if the only the things that needs to change is the offense and the, is the shooting and the assists because they're not creating shots with teammates, which I think if you're having a team where no one can shoot, I mean, I feel like the logical thing is to try, try and create looks for others. If you can't shoot, I mean, I feel like when I'm in pickup, that's what I try to do. Cause I know I can't shoot. I'm definitely not them, obviously, but I just, yeah. So, uh, to uh, Rams court or whatever you call it now, or Woolen Gym, which Woolen. one do you play? I play at Woolen. Okay, I figured that's the best place. This Rams talk that there's no Jason, AC in there though. Jason Staples, who needs AC? Are you soft? You don't need AC. Playing when it's a hundred degrees, play inside. That's how you get better, man. Yeah, I don't, I don't run enough to need AC, so that's fair. <laughs> yeah, really. Greg, you just all-time point guard. You know, you run between circles, Greg. Uh, Carolina shooting forty percent on the season. That's ridiculous. I, I mean, that's the concern I think people have. It's not will they get better. It's not um, will they figure it out. It's that they have a team full of shooters that cannot shoot at least thus far. Now, I, I think what people need to realize, and Greg, you can expand on it, is. You, you talked about it just briefly earlier. The defensive level that they've played against thus far this year will not it will not be matched in a stretch like this the rest of the season. Not even in the ACC, I don't think. I mean, is that reasonable to expect that at least the defensive side that they're facing will back off a little bit as the season progresses, and then and then. You know, then we can see if this team can actually do something because they've played well. They beat Oregon, and somebody said Oregon's not any good, or Adrian Atkinson called me out and said Oregon had the third game in three days or whatever. I think Oregon's a big-time basketball team, and Carolina beat them and looked good doing it. Yeah, I don't want to diminish what they did against Oregon, um, but you were there. You watched the games with your with your boy, I mean, the first game they were down what nineteen, came back and won, yeah. And then they were down seventeen in the second game and came back and took the lead against Gonzaga before losing. Um, so I mean, they were gassed, and without having the big guy, um, that's not quite the team it will be once they get him at the start of the next semester. Uh, but it was still a good win, and you you take it. North Carolina played well in that game, and so you have to give them credit. Uh, but to your point, Tommy. Uh, number one team in, in terms of adjusted defensive efficiency, according to Ken Palm, is Virginia. Number two, Ohio State. Uh, number 14 is Michigan. And those are North Carolina's three losses in their last four games. So when you when you factor in that North Carolina has struggled so much offensively and you need to throw them through that mix of teams, I mean, it's going to look ugly. And it, it, it certainly has. It's been very ugly. Um, but really, I think what we've gone through this past week is is really seeing, okay, this is worst-case scenario of what this offense can do. And it's not pretty. Um, there's, there's only upwards to go 
in terms of what this team can do. But I, I think Virginia is kind of a good synopsis. I mean, um, Virginia runs that pack line, uh, which for people who don't understand exactly what that is, it's basically man-to-man within the zone concept. So if you if you draw a, a semicircle basically from the top of the key down to the baseline, um, you're, you don't want anybody beyond that arc unless they're guarding the ball. And once the ball is passed around, somebody moves out of that arc to play defense. So it's very much kind of a, a sagged-off man-to-man look. Uh, it makes it very tough to get anything inside. makes it very tough to penetrate. The only way to really to beat it uh, is to, to shoot pretty well from, from three. But again, because it's not a zone look, uh, it is man-to-man. You don't have the same open looks that maybe you would against what Syracuse, Syracuse likes to do with their matchup zone. So it's a very uh, unique scheme, and, and Tony Bennett coaches it very well. But North Carolina, early in that game, they were settling for like 15-foot jumpers. And if you've got guys like Justin Jackson out there taking shots, or you're even Hansborough, because by the end of his career, he was knocking down those 15-footers pretty easily. That's one thing. But when you're asking Garrison Brooks and Leaky Black and Brandon Robinson to make those shots, defenses are going to take that as a win every single time. Um, and what you saw towards the end of the first half and really to start the second half is that North Carolina ran a lot of set plays and they were able to really force the ball inside. I mean, there was a, I think it was eight minute, maybe 10 minute span uh, over, over the lap in the half. North Carolina was 10 of 18 from the floor. And it's because they were able to pound the ball inside. And I, asked, you know, I talked to Brandon Robinson about it after the game. He's like, you know, we did it for a stretch and we just got away from it. Um, we couldn't maintain that level of focus to to keep doing that. They got back to taking those outside shots. You know, when you're one of 14 from three, obviously that's not very good. Um, and so it's really a matter of you don't have a lot of great shooters and you're also taking a lot of bad shots. And that's why I say this team will get better. They'll learn to take better shots. Roy will coach them up with that. But he cannot put them in a position where they're going to start making a ton of shots. He says they're a good shooting team. Uh, and, and there's no reason to doubt Roy. He's been very upfront with us for years and years and years. So I certainly believe they will get better. I don't think this is an elite shooting team by any stretch. Um, and so I think in the meantime, what you're going to see is while you do have Armando Baycott down low, he's an option they have to utilize more than they're doing now. And part of that's on him being able to establish his position. Uh, but in, until that occurs, until some other guys step up, Cole Anthony is going to be double and triple team every time he takes the floor. And he cannot force things the way that he did against Virginia. Uh, zero assists, six turnovers is bad. That is that is a really poor performance for a North Carolina point guard. Um, he's a freshman. He's He's only played nine games. He's going to be a lottery pick, uh, but he's learning. And so he's got to avoid getting into those situations. Um, you can't blame him for trying because North Carolina needs him to. North Carolina needs him to be the main guy, but other guys have to step up. And so until until the shooting gets better as a unit, until they find a way to do better running, and they, they find a way to take better shots, um, we're going to see more of the same. And that's why 
defense with this team is more important than probably any team that Roy Williams has coached in Chapel Hill. I agree with that 100%. Virginia can't shoot it either, but they invest 100%, 100% of the time on the defensive end. You saw it against Carolina. Um, into the Cole Anthony discussion, uh, I don't think he can shoot too much. Uh, that's just my opinion, given what we've seen thus far. But he has shot. He's put up 152 field goal attempts. The next highest, if my eyes are working well, was Garrison Brooks at 75. So that's double the next person on the team. But but still, to that point, Tommy, would you ever expect a North Carolina team, and this is not a knock on Garrison because he's a fantastic defender, but if Garrison Brooks is your number two offensive option, that You're speaks to the level. Right, exactly. I think uh, it would be Armando if he hadn't been hurt, though. Sure, sure. It should be, you know, as the season goes along, that'll change. Well, well, what gets me, and I've said this, and I said it on the message boards, I've said it before, is much as the philosophy is to pound it inside, Gregory, they don't throw very good entry passes. I've talked about it with Dewey over the years, um, but there's an art to getting the ball inside to a big man. It's timing, it's the right spot, it's all that. And I think it was Brandon Robinson against Virginia had two straight bad entry passes. I don't don't want to call him out if I'm wrong on that. But, I mean, that is something that you would think that if there's one thing Carolina can do, that's get the ball inside. And, like I said, there's a lot of moving parts there, but I'm just not seeing that as being a, a thing that they do very well, and they've struggled. Baycott should shoot it. I, I, look, perfect world. Baycott shoots um, everything inside. Garrison Brooks goes and gets everything and, and puts it back in garbage time, and Cole Anthony shoots from the outside, and everybody else just gets rebounds and, and plays defense. But Gregory, how does Carolina figure it out? How does it? How do they get better? I mean, because as of right now, um, the fan base is teetering, but I'm not so sure the team is. But Cole Anthony, especially, sure he's frustrated, um, as they all are. But he's the one with the colossal weight on his shoulders. I mean, I think your explanation of a perfect world is exactly what defenses are seeing right now, which. So they know to guard Cole Anthony and they know to keep Armando and Garrison from getting the ball inside as much as possible, which I think is why those entry passes are not as eloquent or as being as successful as we might think they should be because I mean, Brandon Robinson, yes, um, in a small-ish sample size, it's growing, obviously. He's been a good shooter, uh, but obviously no one's been a good shooter this year. I mean, I, I think the way to fix what's going on right now is what Roy's constantly saying. They need to run more. And one of the best plays against Virginia, Cole took the ball straight to the hoop. She just went in that like in the in the primary break. He just he took it and was boom. He was in. He got up to the layup, laid it in. It was beautiful. Next couple of plays later, I think he tried it again. UVA figured it out. There was no one for him to pass it to. Turns the ball over. So I and I think it's more of him learning that it works one time, but against a good team like Virginia. They're not going to let it happen again. So I think that's where UNC needs to develop more passing 
and their offense. And even if it's to him passing out to someone who's not going to shoot, and then he runs around and gets it, and they set up a shot for him if he's going to be the primary shooter moving forward, which it's obviously he's going to be. I, I think that's the only way to fix it is he needs to understand when he's in a bad position to shoot the ball, not shoot it, feel like he could get it to his teammates, and then they can create shots later. I, it's all ball movement. Uh, I don't remember who I was watching the other day, but I think their ball didn't touch the ground and it was quick passes for the first 15 seconds in the shot clock. And then eventually there was a wide open three and they nailed it. I think one with the shooting issues right now, UNC probably doesn't nail that wide open three just because I don't think the confidence is there, but the opportunity can be there for them to share the ball, pass the ball and find an open look especially with someone like Garrison who's getting more comfortable uh, moving further and further out, uh, handling the ball. And, I mean, we saw him throw up a three, and we're not going to see that very often. But, but based off what I've seen through nine games, that's that's just what they've got to do and find ways to create shots by helping each other. I, th- I think people need to understand. Um, we talked a lot about Cole versus Kobe in the preseason. And I think through nine games, we everybody should understand that Cole would be an excellent fit with last year's team, and Kobe would be a much better fit with this team because he would be averaging 30-plus a game because he's a scorer. Cole can score for sure, but that's not really his game. That's not his strength. He's more of a floor general. But yet, when you don't have those scoring pieces around you, uh, you lose that dynamic in volume score. I mean, he had a great opener against Notre Dame. Since that game, in his last eight games, he's shooting 34.4%. That is not good. He also has a negative assist turnover ratio in the season. Um, so when you're talking about the best player from North Carolina is shooting 34% from the floor with a negative assist error ratio, uh, I mean, the fact that this team's won six games, I, I think, is <laughs> impressive at this point. And I, I think a big key for, for this team and for Roy Williams is managing expectations, managing temperament and emotions with Cole Anthony. What you can't allow him to do is we've seen the frustration on the court. Everybody has. He's barking too much at officials. He's, he's he's shown his frustration with uh, you know emotional uh, outbursts. If this continues, you know if they go to Gonzaga and uh, that ends up being an ugly outcome, how does he act once they get into the nitty gritty of ACC play? That's what Roy has to manage. He has to make sure that that Roy that is positive, that he stays engaged. Uh, that he stays a positive presence for his teammates. They have to do a good job keeping him uh, you know, uplifted. That is a kind of behind-the-scenes chemistry issue uh, that is a component of all this that we're seeing. And if North Carolina is going to get to a point where they're a competitive quality team in February and early March, that's a big part of it. And I think, we can talk about the numbers all we want, and they're very important. 
but the the emotional aspect of how engaged is he? Does he check out and say, you know what, I'm going to be a lottery pick in a couple months? Forget this. Uh, that that is the that is the thing you have to kind of be careful about and and really watch out for. And Roy has been great about that throughout his career. I don't expect that to be a problem, uh, but that is something to watch out for. Yeah, definitely worth watching. I, I, I don't think that'll be an issue. I just it, it, could it be sure. Nobody likes to lose. Um, that's not a Cole Anthony specific thing. That's not that's a competitor thing. I mean, in Carolina's struggle, but the, the schedule lightens up a little bit. Um, and Greg, I'll stick with you to ask about uh, Anthony Harris and Jeremiah Francis. I. You know, what a way to get your first action in a couple years for Francis and in a year or so for Anthony Harris. How do you think those guys looked in that limited time against Virginia? And also, my long-winded questions, does their availability now um, sort of open up for Roy Williams to, you know, he said something early in the season about uh, the biggest motivator is the bench. And now you've got two more pieces that you can plug in there and two more seats on the bench for people that aren't performing. How how do you think it all works out with those two guys in the mix now? Yeah, I thought both of them looked really good. Uh, the fact that, that Jeremiah Francis is back was a little bit surprising considering that you know he had, really hadn't played in two years because of his, his knee issues. Uh, certainly the team needs added, added bodies. I think with Francis especially – you don't need him to do a lot because Cole Anthony is going to get the bulk of the minutes anyway. But if he proves as we get into January uh, that he can give you a quality six to eight minutes a game in spelling Anthony, uh, that's significant because that means that Leaky Black really doesn't have to worry about point guard anymore. And he can really just focus on the wing, which I think would be good for him. Um, I, I think he's kind of in a a two different positions. Uh, he hasn't played a whole lot throughout his career. I think there's a lot on him. And I think that would benefit him a lot. And I, I think it would benefit Cole knowing uh, that he, he's got a quality backup behind him. And then with with Anthony, for sure, you know, Christian Keeling's a guy that um, has, has just really struggled to find any kind of offensive rhythm. There's, there's time for that to occur. Uh, but I think Harris – you, if he can give you some quality minutes, uh, that will encourage Keeling to say, like, look, you're not going to get minutes just because we have no more bodies. Like, you're going to have to earn your minutes now. And I, I do agree with what you said, that the bench is the uh, a key motivator for, for everybody. Uh, but I'll, I'll punt to Gregory because uh, Gregory covered the uh, radio with Roy. Yeah, so, I mean, Roy was asked uh, first about Armando and then kind of moving into Anthony Harris and – Jeremiah Francis and just kind of what stood out to me about what he said. Um, so, I mean, a lot of people who I've talked to fans, like students here, uh, the diehards obviously know who Jeremiah Francis is. But other than that, he like entered, I was watching the game on Sunday and he entered the game and everyone was like, who? Like they hadn't heard about this guy and the injuries or anything like that. And then what Roy said tonight uh, is, when he saw him play recruiting his sophomore year and he offered him, he thought he was one of the top two or top three point guards in the country in his class. Uh, 
and I mean, it's Roy Williams. There's no reason to doubt him, and that's pretty pretty high praise. And then Roy went into talking about how, I mean, there's a very small sample size, only about four full court practices in his three minutes. Um, but I mean, and he kind of joked, and he was asked by somebody, "Well, what do you expect to see from them or get out of them moving forward?" And he goes. Quote, I hope they'll help us win. I don't care how pretty we look or anything. It's not that kind of contest. Uh, so he really just, at this point, I mean, the goal is to win, right? But when he's describing Anthony Harris, he ta- called him a tough, tough kid, not a great shooter, not a great scorer and all that kind of stuff, but he's a dog. Um, gets after you, competes his tail off, and I love that, Roy said. Um, and so the way he described that about Anthony Harris is something that I think this team is missing right now because as a team, they're shooting poorly. I mean, yes, Garrison and Armando aren't necessarily shooting poorly, but the rest of the team is. And I think you're kind of, you get beaten down and all of that. So what these two guys can bring and what I think Roy alluded to it was they haven't played or really been a part of this poor offensive output. Um, I mean, Anthony Harris came on six minutes and he made both his shots. So I think that's probably good to see. Uh, But I I think like y'all said, um, Roy's just happy to have these two guys in the lineup. He's been thoroughly impressed uh, with how they've embraced rehab um, with strength and conditioning coach uh, Jonas Serration and, Doug Halverson, head trainer and everything. And he talking about, he mentioned on Friday and he talked about it again tonight about when Roy, when he goes into the weight rooms um, on weight room, Monday, Wednesday, Friday morning, he said, um, and he kind of sees what everyone's doing. And he goes, you could just work up a sweat just watching what Anthony Harris and Jeremiah Francis are doing. Um, And he says, those two guys have really, really worked really hard. Uh, so I, I think Roy is very excited about having them back and kind of, I guess, what, like, they're they're going to work and earn their spot in the lineup, right? They have to do that because they are just returning and they haven't played uh, in a really long time. But just having the bodies and having two workhorses like Roy said they are is definitely something that this team needs right now. They need wins as well. Carolina and Wofford this coming weekend in Carmichael should be a fun game. And I don't want to be too much of a Debbie Downer, um, but Gregory mentioned the 2014-15 season and how it sort of compares to them. That team had Paige, Johnson, Meeks, Jackson, Tokoto, Isaiah Hicks, Nate Britt, and Joel Berry, and Theo Pinson. And Paige... Page was a what a junior that year. Yep. Took a toe with, and there was four draft picks on that team. Yep. So that that talented team may have started off very similar. Um, we'll see how this one turns out. Carolina falls to Virginia, falls to Ohio State. Two tough teams to play against for a team like this. But talking about Anthony Harris, Carolina needs more dogs, and they need them on the defensive end, especially. Greg and Gregory, it's always been fun on the Beat Podcast. It's us three and Ross sometimes as the season progresses, but it's been fun tonight, and that's going to do it for tonight, boys. I appreciate y'all joining me. Thanks, Tommy.
All right. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by T-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.